Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. To not only continue to see growth and revival, but I believe to see it at a level greater than we have ever seen in the history of our church. I believe that we are rightly positioned in so many ways to experience God exponentially, as it were. Amen? And it is important for us as we are in this season of harvest and growth, it is important for us to make sure that we do not lose sight of our foundations. Amen. It will be our foundational truths that got us here. And it will be our foundational truths that take us forward. We're not going to come up with some new idea. There's not going to be some new plan that comes along that's going to take us further and greater than what we've ever seen before, some unbiblical idea that's somehow going to launch us into unprecedented revival. It will be the foundational doctrines and truths of the Scripture, amen, and us living them out that is going to be the greatest witness that we can ever be to this generation and beyond. We have been looking in recent weeks at some ways that holiness is lived out in our lives. Practical holiness in the life of an apostolic Christian and what that means and what it looks like. I believe that we can only be the true examples that Christ called us to be when we are pursuing holiness in him. We can only be the illustrative life that he has purchased with his blood that we just sing about if we are continuing to pursue after holiness. And we understand that holiness can only come after someone has been filled with the Holy Spirit of a holy God. And I wonder tonight how many people in this room could say, I've been filled with the Spirit of a holy God in my life. Oh, hallelujah. And because we boldly proclaim and testify that we have been filled with the Spirit of the Lord God Almighty, that we not only spoke in tongues initially, but that that relationship of the Spirit of God in us has turned, hallelujah, into the fruits of the Spirit shown through us. It is that declaration that besides that and partnering with that means I must also be pursuing after the holy things of a holy God. Because I have been filled with the Holy Spirit, there is nothing in this world now that I want more than Jesus Christ. Because I have been filled with the Holy Spirit, there is nothing in this world now that I want to grab a hold of more than something else about my holy God. The Bible tells us in Acts, you know it in one, that we receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon us. And he says that you receive that power. You shall be witnesses unto me. It's an automatic thing that takes place in the life of a believer. When somebody is truly filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
the power that comes with that changes them, begins to work on them and mold them into something that automatically becomes a witness uh, to a lost and dying world. He says it's going to be Jerusalem. He says it's going to be Judea. He says it's going to be Samaria. And then he says it'll be under the uttermost uh, parts of the earth. Uh, the witness that we become, that we are called to participate in, it overrides culture. It overrides creed. It overrides language barriers. It overrides distance. It overrides all of these things. A Christian who has been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God does not need to worry about being unable to impact anyone, anywhere, at any time. But when I am filled with the power, hallelujah, of the Holy Ghost, I can walk up to someone whose language I don't even speak and culture I don't even even understand and I can make a difference in their life why because I've got the power of God amen we can be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth we can expect it to be effective not because of us but because of the spirit that is in us and that spirit that is in us it is important that we maintain that which the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. It is important that we maintain that which he calls Christian, that sanctification of the Spirit that sets us apart. Somebody say, sets us apart. The Paul, Paul tells the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the, the Lord of Almighty. Amen. I would say to us tonight that this separation of sanctification is not for intent of disconnect, but it is indeed the opposite of disconnect. It's for the purpose of being able to connect with others on a deeper level. I want us to grasp something tonight, and that, that simple principle is this, that God does not separate his people from the world to disconnect his people from the world. He separates us from the world so that we can make a greater impact on the world. Hallelujah. So we can be more effective with our witness in the world. There was a man you've heard before. You've heard the story, the man who fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. And the subjective person came along and said, I really feel for you down there. And the objective person said, it's logical that somebody would fall down there. And the Pharisee said, only bad people fall into a pit. And the mathematician calculated how he may have fallen into the pit. And the news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. 
And the uncompassionate said, you deserve the pit. And the IRS agent asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. And the self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. And the optimist said, things could be worse. And the pessimist said, things will get worse. <laughs> but Jesus, seeing the man, takes him by the hand and lifts him out of the pit. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It starts out highly complimentary of us, doesn't it? Chosen, royal, holy. Man, that sounds good. That sounds good, chosen, royal, holy. But then it shifts from complimenting us. It, then it shifts to our purpose. You've got a purpose for being chosen, royal, and holy. Your purpose is to show forth the praises of him. Oh, hallelujah. Your purpose is to show forth the, you're not just chosen and royal and holy to be chosen, royal and holy. You are those things because he made you those things so that you can show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Oh, hallelujah. My God in heaven. Amen. It's the mercy of God that we are here tonight. It's the mercy of God that we have a testimony that can help somebody else. Oh, hallelujah. You know, there's another ending to that illustration of the man who fell in the pit. The other ending is this. A Christian jumps in the pit with the man. And he says, why would you do that? Now we are both stuck down here. But the Christian says, no, I've been here before. I know how to get out. Oh, hallelujah. No, I've been here before. I know how to get out. I'm holy. I'm chosen. Oh, hallelujah. But that's for a reason. He set us apart for a reason. Not so we can go look at ourselves in the mirror and say how good we are. Not so we can pat each other in the back and act like we're better than everyone else. He did it so that a lost and dying world could lift up their eyes and see somebody found their way out of the pit. Somebody found their way out of the darkness oh hallelujah the holiness lifestyle is not one of arrogance or boasting it's not our way of saying or not of glorifying ourselves it's our way of showing what God can do with a broken life oh hallelujah it's our way of bringing glory to God who made our lives possible Shining a light on the glory and the mercies and the wonders of God. We are not into legalism. Hear me tonight. I'm going to talk about this a little bit. We're not into legalism. I need you to hear your pastor preach this message because more, and more, more people are going to come walking into this place. We need to make sure we keep it right. We are not into legalism which is the strict or excessive conformity to a set of rules. 
in the Christian context, it has two negative applications. Number one, basing salvation only on good works or simply following the rules. We don't do that. Our salvation is not in our works. Our salvation is not in following the rules. Number two, imposing rules that are not based on clear biblical teaching or principles. We don't do that. Oh, hallelujah. We don't do that. In Galatians 2 and 16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes when we begin to preach and teach about practical holiness, sometimes when we begin to live practical holiness in our everyday lives, People will accuse us of being legalistic, of following legalism. But like Jesus, we are against legalism. Jesus often opposed the Pharisees because they were the Jewish legalists of his day. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter, he speaks in verses 2 through 5, and he declares, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. They say and do not. Oh, hallelujah. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. Let me give you a couple ways that you can know that you've somehow mistakenly got off into legalism. It's if you're willing to say to other people what they should be doing, but not willing to do it yourself. Amen. If you're willing to declare that somebody else should be living their life a certain way, but you're not willing to live your life that way, you may be in danger of living a legalistic lifestyle. Uh, Or uh, if you are for putting heavy burdens upon people, but you're not for taking any type of burden or doing any type of work or making any type of effort to help them, you may be legalistic. And if it's all about being seen of men, you have a problem. Oh, hallelujah. I said, if it's all about being seen of men, we have a problem. We don't live the way we live. We don't dress the way we dress, talk the way we talk, act the way we act to somehow get to glory of men. We do it to bring glory to God. We do it because it declares unto the world uh, that I'm not who I used to be. Uh, I've been bought, hallelujah, with the price. Uh, I was cleansed uh, by the blood. Uh, Hallelujah. God has changed me. Oh, hallelujah. What good is a so-called Christianity with no change? What good is a Christianity with no change? What evidence do we have of Scripture of people encountering Christ not having some sort of change or opportunity to change? None. No evidence at all. 
And yet we live in a world today that will declare something to be Christianity, but declare at the same time that you don't have to change anything about yourself, that you don't have to let God change anything about you. You can still be the same person that you've always been uh, and just now declare yourself a Christian. I'm here to tell you that message has failed the world. Uh, that message will never help the world. Uh, they've tried it and they'll try it again. Uh, and all it's going to do is a peace flesh and a peace sin. But when somebody really desperately needs to get out of a hole, uh, when somebody is really battling and needs salvation in their hole, they're going to look for somebody who can stand up and say I once was but I'm not anymore look what the Lord has done I used to be that but he changed me I'm a new creature hallelujah oh hallelujah the problem with the legalistic approach is that it's not a biblical approach and it's not Christian and those who can recite the scripture but cannot live the scripture are doomed to be hypocrites. Oh, hallelujah. Paul approached it by the way of the heart, as the Bible so often does when it talks of holiness. Romans 2, 21 through 23, Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, do you steal? Thou that sayest the man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that make thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? And then he says in Romans 2 and 28, a few verses later, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, I know I'm not talking to Jewish people here tonight, but the principle is clear in Scripture. The principle is clear in Scripture, and it carries over to the Gentile church as well, and the entire New Testament church, and to the church today. Uh, it is clear in Scripture that if you're going to do something, it better be in your heart. If you want it to count, it needs to be in your heart. If you want it to matter, it better be in your heart. If you want God to notice it, it better originate in your heart. I told you last week there's going to come a day when they're going to say, Lord, Lord, uh, haven't we cast out devils in your name? Uh, didn't we do great things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. Uh, I never knew you. Why? Because what they were doing did not originate uh, from a relationship uh, with God. It did not come from a place of love in their heart but it came from their flesh oh hallelujah and God doesn't even recognize it as ministry he doesn't even see it as helping anybody at all oh hallelujah the results of legalism may in some circles get the praise of man but the result of holiness will please the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Just like the intent of the Old Testament law, any holiness standard should point us to and draw us nearer to Christ. That was the intent of the Old Testament law. He was trying to draw them close. 
He was trying to draw them close, uh, but they got to the place uh, where instead of caring about what the sacrifice meant, they cared about how much money they could get for the sacrifice. Amen. He was trying to create something uh, that was about relationship and about connection, uh, but they took it to the place uh, where he had to go in uh, and flip over the tables uh, and get all of the money-hungry people out uh, and say, you made it a den of thieves. Uh, The point he was trying to make was, uh, I wanted relationship. I was looking for closeness, intimacy, connection. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was not trying to just get people to follow some set of rules. Oh, hallelujah. Any holiness standard should point somebody to Jesus. Anything that we would declare is necessary should cause someone to draw closer to the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Legalism is an insufficient motivation to live for God. I said it's an insufficient motivation to live for God. It will not bring salvation. And it will never bring true holiness. You hear what I'm saying? It's not going to save them. And it's not going to bring true holiness about in their life. It's not going to happen. It focuses on the outward show of holiness while neglecting and ignoring the development of inward holiness. Holiness that begins in the heart out of a desire to love the Lord will always find its way onto the outside. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You say, preacher, we got all these, pastor, we got all these new people coming we got all these new people coming. We're, you know, I'm hoping that some of them will start grabbing a hold of holiness. I'm hoping that some of them will start grabbing a hold of the heart of God. That's what we're hoping for that they'll grab a hold of the heart of God. We're hoping that they'll start falling in love with Jesus. Uh, We're hoping that they'll start wanting to pray every day. We're hoping that they'll start falling in love with the word of God. We're hoping that they'll start falling in love uh, to come into the house of the Lord and singing songs and praising and worshiping the Lord God Almighty. We're hoping that they'll start to fall in love with Jesus because if they'll fall in love with Jesus in their heart, you ain't gonna have to worry about holiness in every other aspect of their life it will happen all by itself because they fell in love with Jesus. Don't mishear your pastor tonight. I'm not saying that we don't talk about it. I'm not saying that we don't teach about it. We don't converse about it. I'm not saying you know that's not true. This practical holiness I'm talking about tonight, I've been talking about for weeks. And no, we didn't announce we were having a holiness series. Some of you are now just coming to the realization that I have been talking about holiness a lot. (laughs) But it has to begin in the heart because it will then change everything. It'll change the way we talk. It'll change the way, as I talked about uh, last Wednesday or the Wednesday before, about what we look at and what we listen to and how we interact with other people, the conversation of our lives. Let me tell somebody here tonight, 
Because I believe God is calling us. He's been calling us all closer to him. I believe it is a very strategic move of our Lord and Savior in this hour that he is drawing people as close to him as he can possibly get us to come because he knows the shaking is about to start. Because he knows the shaking is about to start. And so he's drawing people close, close, close. He's drawing, as it were, under his wing, as it were, that he would do with Jerusalem. Under his wing. Amen. He's drawing us close. So hear me tonight when I tell you this. You never need to worry about making a change that brings you closer to Christ. You say, Pastor, God's been asking me to do this, and God's been talking to me about that, and then prayer, I've been hearing him say this. What do you think? Uh, Amen. Is it going to bring you closer to Christ? Uh, Is it going to bring you closer to the Savior? Is it going to bring you closer to the cross? Uh, Is it going to bring you closer? If it is, then you go right ahead and do it. If it's going to grow your relationship with the Lord God Almighty, if you're going to love him more tomorrow than you did yesterday, then do it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And thus it makes us into what God intended. In Matthew 5, we read the words of Christ when he says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. But ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Oh, hallelujah. The only thing our good works should do is bring glory to God. The only motivation we should have for good works uh, is to bring glory to God. The only reason I should put my shoulder to the plow and do more good works uh, is because I'm trying to bring glory to God because I want people to see me uh, but see Jesus in me uh, and go after God. The only thing that matters about good works is that it brings glory to him. Notice, if you will, the three times that Jesus uses the word your in that 16th verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Three times he stresses your. He stresses your for personal possession of light. Your light. You hear it? It's got to be your light. Not mama's light. Not friend's light. Not the church I go to's light. Not my spouse's light. It's got to be your light. There's going to have to be a light in you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Years ago, I preached a whole holiness series called God Reflectors, and we talked about being the reflection of the light of God. But we need to remember that we are God reflectors, not church reflectors, not family reflectors, not spousal reflectors. I got to have the light of God inside of me. And if the light of God is inside of me, then the light of God will shine out of me.
He says, you got to have personal possession of the light. And then he says, it's your good works. That means personal action. Your good works. Jesus is making this whole thing very, very personal. He's not, this isn't group talk. He's saying, you, you have to have your personal action and good works. You have to do something for the kingdom. You have to do something to reach people. You have to do something to make a difference in the world that you live in. Your world needs to be impacted by you. And then he says, they need to have personal relationship. Glorify your father. He uses the word father very specifically in this context. It's driving home the personal relationship. He's saying you need to have a personal relationship where people will look at you and say, they have been with Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I really don't care if they start out that sentence by saying he's an unlearned and ignorant man. I don't care of being line of a lot of other great apostolic people who were called unlearned and ignorant men, but they have been with Jesus. It doesn't matter to me what they think about all of that. What matters to us apostolic Christians in this day is that they can look at us and say they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They have a relationship with God Almighty. They have a relationship. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Living for God is personal. Everybody say personal. It changes us. And then it can change the world through us. But we must actually have the light in us in order to be the light. Jesus declared that he was the light of the world. And then Jesus declared that we are the light of the world. We are only the light of the world if the light, the light, is in us. Oh, hallelujah. I can't just say I'm the light of the world. I can't just say I'm going to be the light today. You have to have the light before you can be the light. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. You've no doubt heard the phrase, it's been populated over the years, be the change that you want to see in the world. I thought of that this afternoon. I had thought that it was Gandhi that said it. Apparently, it's been wrongly attributed to Gandhi for many years. He didn't actually say it. But there was some that associated with a teacher in Brooklyn in the 60s where local poverty and violence were having a negative, very negative effect on the school and the students that were there. Miss Lawrence was her name. And she started something that she called the Love Project as a way to improve the lives and the education of the students at Thomas Jefferson High. The idea was just real simple that if kids growing up in a rough neighborhood had an oasis of calm and acceptance at the school, it would improve their lives as well as their learning. And then they would in turn bring positive benefits into the community when they left the school. 
It was a really simple idea. If we can somehow just get kids in this building and make this a place of sanctuary and make this a place where they could be safe and make this a place where they can feel loved and make this a place, hallelujah, where they can have some kindness. Some of you already know where the illustration is going. We live in a world that is desperate for a sanctuary in the storm. They're looking for a lighthouse. They're looking for someone that can light the way to the calm, hallelujah, and the sanctuary in the storm because they need some place to go and recoup. They need some place to go and rest. They need some place to go, hallelujah, where their mind can be at ease and they can feel feel safe and they can deal with the issues of life and if there ever is a time or a place on earth where that should happen it should be in the house of the almighty God it ought to be at Connect Point United Pentecostal Church where they can come walking in off the street and say I need somebody to help me I need some rest I need some calm I need a sanctuary but we got to be a light on a hill we got to be a lighthouse on the mountain saying come 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 whosoever will let them come oh hallelujah she called it the love project but the principle goes back way further than that in a world that was ready to despise and reject him. In a world that was prepared and primed to crucify him. In a world that would do everything in their power to invalidate and cancel Jesus Christ. Even though that was the setting, we still read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He knew that the world was ready to kill him. Not eventually, but when he was born, they tried to kill him. He knew that the world was primed to cancel him and act like he doesn't exist. He knew that the world was primed to hang him on a cross and beat and ridicule and mock him until he died but he said I so love the world that I'm still going to show how much I love them by giving them my only begotten son and I'm telling you tonight that same principle exists in the church today if we're going to call ourselves Christians apostolic believers then we have got to love the the world that much. You say, well, preacher, they don't want to hear it. Preacher, they don't want to know. Preacher, they're going to say they're not interested. Preacher, they're going to laugh at me when I ask them. Preacher, they're going to discount it. They don't even believe in God. What's the point? The point is love. The point is love. That's the point. That's the point. The point is love. And because he first loved me while I was yet a sinner, Christ died. Oh, hallelujah. He died for me. The point is love. Hallelujah. So 
maybe, Pastor, what we should do is let's start a, a love, not legalism campaign. That flows good, doesn't it? Love, not legalism. Love, not legalism. It's already been done. It's old news. And I'm here to tell you tonight that some new catchphrase or Christian wall art is not the answer. It's not going to change anybody's life if you print that on a t-shirt. It's not going to change anybody's life if they can buy it framed at Hobby Lobby. Love, not legalism. We show our holiness and separation under God most when our lives are evidence that the love of God at Calvary can still change a person. We show holiness and separation the greatest when we are witnesses of the goodness of God, when our lives illustrate His love and when we declare, I didn't do this for myself, but he did it for me. I couldn't do this on my own, but he did it for me. And if he did it for me, he sure enough can do it for you too. If he loved me, he'll love you too. Because none of us have earned this thing. None of us have a right to it, and none of us have it cornered of us nobody can say well I had the greatest transformation so I'm the greatest example nobody can say I'm third or fourth generation so I'm the greatest example nobody can have any of that when it comes to the love of God because he said you're all sinners but I loved you anyway you're all sinners but I died for you anyway you're all sinners and if he loved this sinner then he can love any other sinner that may crawl their way into this place Stand with me if you would. First John declares unto us, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins beloved if God so loved us we ought also to love one another and just in case anybody's confused when he says if God loved us we should love one another he's not just talking to apostolic Pentecostal Christians he's saying we were all sinners and God loved us and so we should love everyone you say preacher I can't I can't agree with the way they're living I'm not telling you to agree with the way they're living I can't condone their behavior I'm not telling you to condone their behavior I can't agree with it and tell them it's right to do the things that they're doing nobody's telling you Jesus didn't even do that 
I said Jesus didn't even do that. Although they would like to shove it down the Christian community's throats that Jesus just loved and accepted everyone and never asked them to do anything different. Anyone who reads the Bible knows that's not true at all. Jesus is not asking us to do something that he wouldn't do himself. That's exactly what he's telling us not to be. It's a people that will ask others to do something that we wouldn't do ourselves. He's not saying we have to accept everything they do, condone everything they do. He's just saying you got to love them and you have to understand that he loves them. And if he loves them, that means it's possible that they could be saved. Lift your hands and begin to talk to the Lord in this place. Come on, begin to talk to the Lord in this place. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.